Direct from Cape Gun Works in Hyannis, you're listening to Rapid Fire Radio with your host, Toby Leary. I'm Toby Leary from Cape Gun Works. I'm passionate about all things Second Amendment. While I love to shoot... Going hot. There is so much more to guns than just pulling the trigger. A free and armed society is a responsible and self-reliant one. Join us to talk all things guns, freedom, and self-defense. It isn't just about being armed. It's about being responsibly armed. So load and make ready. This is Rapid Fire. Welcome to Rapid Fire, your weekly show all things guns, freedom, Second Amendment, and self-defense, sponsored by Vortex Optics and the USCCA. Make sure you tune in each and every week at rapidfireradio.us. And if you want your voice to be heard, you know, type in to be alerted whenever we go live and follow along uh, in the chat. So if it wasn't for you chatters, I'd still be speaking to myself here. So thank you very much for, uh, you know, chiming in. Um, I appreciate each and everybody who listens each and every week and participates in this show. It's a it's a uh, work in progress, as you can tell. But uh, we got a great show planned for you today. We got a lot of news to cover. And also we have um, the event coming up on August 27th bring ruin a Boston event, which is, which is coming up quick. So we want to talk about that. Uh, but if you're following anything in the court courts about, uh, cases, it is just unbelievable how quickly things are moving and how many things are moving. Uh, Mark Smith did a great little video on this from the four boxes diner earlier today about, all of the upcoming cases, what to watch for, which ones are important, which ones are likely to go our way. And uh, he really did some, you know, inside baseball on that and broke it all down for us. So that was really good. Um, so if you haven't uh, followed Mark Smith at the Four Boxes Diner, you want to check him out. He does a great job from a high level legal um, perspective. So you want to go ahead and check that out. Oh, by the way, please like and subscribe and share and follow us on all the social media that you consume at Cape Gunworks and at Rapid Fire Radio is wherever, you know, you consume your social media from. We're on Truth, we're on Telegram, we're on Rumble, we're on Twitch, we're on all the big tech. And uh, by the way, we've been given our first strike on YouTube. Um and it had nothing to do with guns. It was a, when I was filling in for the Grace Curley show, I got talking about that seasonal flu that pops up every once in a while and I got a big strike against me. So uh, there you have that. Also, our Facebook channel is in dire straits. I did a little post about it, how we don't violate their terms of use or the community standards in any way, shape or form. But yet, guess what? I still get deplatformed and shadow banned. And uh, so I, I posted a little post on our, our Facebook page the other day. And I said, hey, Facebook, do better. 
like, here's a copy of your community standards. And I haven't violated that. And it says my account is in, in, uh, you know, if I get one more strike against me, we're going to be deplatformed. And I even, uh, petitioned them to, uh, basically look at our content and show that it's not in violation of their community standards as an FFL and a brick and mortar gun retailer and online retailer, we can do certain things that the general public can't, but they don't ever give you the blue check. They don't ever give you the, Oh, Hey, yeah, we checked these guys out and they're, um, and they're, they're, they check out. So, <laughs> so to speak, and they are a confirmed FFL holder and a retailer, and therefore they're good to go. Nope, that doesn't happen. They just still apply the same standards to the personal pages, fully knowing that we are a gun retailer and, and whatnot. So it's awful frustrating, but that's what we have to deal with. So please like, subscribe, share, and comment on all of our content wherever you consume your social media. All right, back to what we were talking about um, on September 27th at 11 a.m., the State House. Uh, we're going to go into the State House at 1 p.m., the Parkman Bandstand and Boston Common Map. Uh, if you you know look on Gun Owners Action League's website, gold.org, uh, Wednesday, September 27th is Bring Bruin to Boston Day. Massachusetts government, it's time for you to comply. Um, the 2A community has responded in a historic fashion that resembles the patriots of old. Your quick and decisive response stopped, even if only temporarily. Speaker Mariano in his tracks. If not for your response, our call to action, uh, HD 4420, would have already been law. With more than uh, with more and more members of the 2A community taking action, it's time we brought our message directly to the State House. For 25 years, our state government has demanded that we comply with their draconian anti-civil rights laws. More than a year ago, the Supreme Court of the United States ruled that their laws were unconstitutional. The constitutional right to keep and bear arms for public, in public for self-defense is not a second-class right subject to an entirely different body of rules than the government, uh, than the other Bill of Rights guarantees. So Massachusetts government, it is time for you to comply. Um, what to do? Local clubs should organize buses for people to easily travel to the state house. get a list of club members that want to come, contact your local senator and representative and make an appointment to meet them at the state house that day, draft a quick letter. You can drop off in person or uh, to your representatives and senator. Letter writing help. Find your local legislators. Have literature and talking points ready to present to your elected officials. Goal will have some signs available at the rally, but feel free to bring your own. If you bring your own, please no other political signs or banners such as those for candidates or other issues. We need to be very clear on what our message is. When entering the state house, you will have to pass through brand new security checkpoints. Too bad our schools don't have that same level of protection. And uh, sign imagery, should you want to make your own. Uh, there's all these hyperlinks if you want to click on that. Letter writing help. One thing Goal has been very, uh, very poignant about is don't cut and paste a form letter. Write your own. 
And my legislator said, send an email because then it's official, it's public record, it's been recorded. Um, so you want to do that. Um, but don't cut and paste somebody else. If it's one paragraph, all of us can tell one or two things that we oppose. And uh, so that's, that's really important. Um, the only thing I will say, goal does the yeoman's work for our state. There's 600,000 gun owners in this state, and there's 20,000 goal members. Why is there not 500,000 goal members? That's the tragedy, in my opinion. Why is there not 600,000 goal members? Why are we not... Um, why is this not, you know, the lion's share? I, I feel obligated to say that I feel like um, we need to do better as a whole in this state. And one of the things that we haven't done real well is come together as, an, as a group. We infight a lot. Um, there's this thing that my buddy coined called the gun owners against gun owners in this state. And that has, I've seen that at the gun club level. You know, you got the shotgun guys against the pistol guys. You got the rifle hunter guys that could care less if you have shotguns or pistols. You got gun clubs that want to do away with their pistol team um, because we're a sporting club. It's like enough is enough. If you have something that has powder, primer, bullet, and brass and goes bang, it's time to all come together. I'm not saying you all have to believe and think alike, but I am saying rally around the Second Amendment and make your voice heard with one voice at the State House on August 20th. I'm sorry, September 27th. I'm still living in August, <laughs> September now. But um, that's the point: is let's let's be loud and proud. Let's be. Um, Let's normalize firearms ownership. If you don't care about self-defense, if you don't care about black guns, if you don't care about having, um, you know, military weapons of war, if you will, like some sort of mil spec or uh, mil serp weapons, so what? Be an advocate for the Second Amendment for whatever reason you own a gun. Um, and let's all start to speak with one voice loud and clear. Maybe you think people should have to go through universal background checks. Maybe you think people um, should, shouldn't be able to make their own guns, but you believe in the Second Amendment. Well, maybe it's time we start to come together on some of those issues. Uh, why does the, I have a question. Why is it the people who are least likely to offend in violent crime are the ones that constantly have to compromise their beliefs. Because frankly, this doesn't happen anywhere else in society. We don't give up our cars to reduce drunk driving. We don't decide to walk to work in order to reduce drunk driving. We hold the drunks accountable for their driving. We don't give up our swimming pools to reduce drownings. 
But that's exactly what gun owners have had to do the last 30, 40, 50 years. Right now, our rights are more violated today than they ever have been in the history of our country. There was never a time in the, until recent history where you had to go to a gun store, you had to fill out federal paperwork, you had to pass background checks, you had to wait in some cases in order to exercise your right to keep and bear arms. You had to be issued a permit or a license or be sold a piece of paper, permission slip that has your fingerprints, photographs, ID. That never happened until recent history. And gun rights groups are part of the problem in that case. We, we capitulated, we compromised. And, you know, the, the reason of, for this vein of thought today is because um, I was asked to support a candidate um, who's coming up for a special election. I'm not going to mention his name because I've given him an opportunity to come on this show. But I'm going to read to you what he wrote on his website. And his campaign manager or somebody else in his campaign reached out to me and said, hey, Toby, love your show, love what you do. And um, I, I, there's, there's somebody who's a staunch supporter of the Second Amendment that I really would appreciate if you'd give a shout out to. And I'm like, cool, this is exciting. You know, a, a pro-gun candidate. I was in the middle of posting something for Instagram when I went over to his website just to read up. And this is directly from his website. Protecting our Second Amendment rights. I am a strong supporter of the Second Amendment. I do not support any legislation that transforms law-abiding citizens into criminals and firmly believe that the priority should be eradicating illicit firearms from our communities. Our focus should be on curbing the presence of illegal guns rather than punishing responsible gun owners, period. So far, so good. So I, I'm going to finish this thought on the other side. But what I want you guys to do is listen to how this goes bad on the other side. Um, so stay tuned because we will be right back after this. Vortex offers the very best optics specifically made for shooters with rugged construction designed for extreme environments. Vortex Optics build quality ensures accurate, reliable, and repeatable performance every time you squeeze the trigger. Add fully multi-coated lenses and nitrogen purging, and you have a quality optic with an extremely reasonable price tag. That is the Vortex difference. Come into Cape Gunworks to see the full line of Vortex Optics today. All right. Welcome back to Rapid Fire. I'm your host, Toby Leary, and this is your weekly show, All Things Guns, Freedom, Second Amendment, and Self-Defense, brought to you by Vortex Optics and the USCCA. All right, so getting back to this, uh, this letter here, or this is a statement on his website. So rather than punishing responsible gun owners, we're all tracking good so far, right? And then I'm going to skip the next part because it could out who he is. Uh, but basically, my focus is on keeping people safe. 
I am, here's where it gets weird. I am wholeheartedly in favor of President Biden's Bipartisan Safer Communities Act. This is bipartisan legislation which represents a significant step forward in enhancing access to mental health resources and offering much-needed support in schools dealing with children's mental health, housing, and related challenges. I congratulate everyone who worked on this groundbreaking legislation because I support evidence-based initiatives aimed at preventing instances of gun-related fatalities. This involves uh, bolstering the availability of mental health services, promoting endeavors to reduce suicide rates, allocating funds for interventions that target homicides and gun violence in local communities, and fortifying safeguards against domestic violence. Well, the only problem with the Bipartisan Safer Communities Act was it does nothing to safeguard our communities. It doesn't focus on mental health. It doesn't focus on helping uh, children in need or those. It only aims to preemptively take guns away from uh, those whom, without due process, authorities deem to be at risk. So enough on that for now, because this goes on and I want to read the whole thing. I firmly advocate for empowering the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention with the necessary resources to comprehensively examine gun violence as a matter of public health. That is a red flag right there, no pun intended. Um, number one, there's no such thing as gun violence. I'm sick of that term. There's violence. And we don't call it knife violence. We don't call it car violence. We don't call it fist and shod foot violence whenever someone gets beat up. We don't call it baseball bat violence. We don't call it drowning violence when somebody gets drowned or you know beaten and drowned. But all of a sudden, we, we sit here and we tie an inanimate object to an act of violence so that it sounds scarier. It sounds worse in some case. Um, but all it's doing is bringing the issue up so that people can then debate how much uh, restriction you're going to put on said object. Inanimate object, by the way. This entails comprehensive exploration of the enduring physical, mental, economic, and societal consequences that survivors and their families endure over the long term. Furthermore, I am a staunch proponent of implementing universal background checks and plugging an ex existing has hazardous gaps in regulation that allow individuals, such as stalkers, abusive partners, in certain assault or battery victims to acquire, or excuse me, convicts to acquire and retain firearms. I emphasize the need for robust funding for the federal background check system. People, listeners, this right here is what somebody who claims to be a staunch, or sorry, a strong supporter of the Second Amendment. I guess they didn't, use, they stopped short of using staunch, but it, they go, they start off this whole thing by saying protecting our Second Amendment rights and then proceed to support the 
eradication of those rights. This is, I, I personally think this is exactly everything that's wrong with any and all governmental approach to negative outcomes with a firearm. Because at some point on that spectrum, they are going to lay the blame at the feet of the people whom the blame shouldn't be laid at. Let me say it another way. I believe this is a much better way of explaining it. There's no other element in society where we control the masses of people who are largely law-abiding and peaceful, reasonable citizens with because of the outcomes of a few. Let me say that again. Because of the actions of a few, we now restrict the actions of everybody else. And I understand this from a parenting perspective. You, you can't have kids dribbling basketballs in the living room because they're going to break the vase. They're going to break the TV. They're going to break the coffee table. But as a grown-up, mature adult society, we have taken the path that restricting the rights of citizens and resident aliens because of the criminal acts of a few, that doesn't happen in any other, in any other sector of society. Now, you might be able to make the argument that because of drunk drivers, you know, they make higher or lower the blood alcohol content or because of accidents by a few. Now we have seatbelt laws in 49 states. So, okay, I'll give you that. I'll grant you that. But those aren't enumerated rights that say shall not be infringed. So we are punishing the peaceful citizens of this country for the criminal acts of a few people. In closing, we must also address the Charlestown loophole and all measures that prohibit individuals with hate crime convictions from possessing firearms. I am concerned about the abundance of illegal firearms on the streets and the apparent lack of vigorous prosecution of gun-related offenses by the Attorney General. That's one thing I can agree on, often leading to downgraded charges. Another thing I can agree on. I've been endorsed by blah, blah, blah. And there's a whole bunch of people that endorse uh, this guy. Hopefully he'll join us on the show because I would love to have this conversation with him. And uh, and then, you know, we we can parse out exactly why it's a good idea to restrict and to infringe upon people's right to keep and bear arms for the criminal acts of a few. And every time there's this happens, it only makes it me less likely to be able to defend myself. Not to mention, in some, you know, someday, I will now become a felon because of an, a law that has been passed that now violates my right to keep and bear arms based on, uh, you know, something that they choose to to pass that I already own or existing or, or you know, how I go about exercising my rights. Uh, 
And that means we're all felons in waiting, folks. And that doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make us safer. It doesn't make our society and our streets safer. And anyone who's willing to um, even intellectually argue those points has lost already. We've lost the argument, unfortunately. And that's that's a sad state of affairs because, uh, frankly, it's it's something that shouldn't it shouldn't happen. We shouldn't lose the argument based on, uh, you know, us willing to concede and even enter into this conversation. But I want to have that talk with him anyway. And if if we do, we'll tell you who it is. But as of right now, he doesn't get my endorsement. All right. Stay tuned, guys. You're listening to Rapid Fire. And I'm Toby Leary, and we'll be right back. Federal ammunition is 100. This is where the American ingenuity met a trailblazing spirit. Hard work united with patriotism and technology blended with new ideas. That's Federal Ammunition. Right here in Anoka, Minnesota, born in 1922, made in America, and proud to be the best. Federal Ammunition, a century of innovation, and we're only getting started. Hey everybody, Toby from Cape Gunworks, and it's time for the Rapid Fire Gun of the Week. You guys don't ever want to miss an episode of Gun of the Week. So, this week's Gun of the Week is the Smith & Wesson Model 29. And you know it's important if it comes in this beautiful mahogany or walnut box. And this one is the 44 mag. It's got the 4-inch barrel and it's fully engraved with that deep royal blue adjustable sights it's the six shot uh just you know whenever i hold one of these guns i i think about well do you feel lucky and if you feel lucky you should go over to rapidfireradio.us and scroll down until you see gun of the week click on it and put gow in at checkout for a very special discount on this super rare gun it's the only one in stock and I've made a mistake about putting guns in the Gun of the Week category that sell out before the next Gun of the Week uh, comes out next week. So this might be one of those cases. We only have one in stock, but if you want it, it's this week's Rapid Fire Gun of the Week. So come check it out. The fully engraved Model 629 Classic in its beautiful wood box from Smith & Wesson. All right, welcome back to Rapid Fire. There you have it, the gun of the week, guys. And uh, don't forget to go vote in our poll. It's back up on Twitter. So go to Twitter, or X, I should say, and Rapid Fire Radio, all one word. This week's poll is, are you a single-issue voter? And if so, what is the issue you vote about? Um, Second Amendment, economy, border, or other? And the Second Amendment is at 50% right now, and the border is the other 50%. So, so far, no votes on economy or other. Um, if you want to vote in the Truth Social uh, poll as well, this it's the same poll, but there's a couple extra options. It's got abortion, economy, border, rule of law, taxes, and that one is at 60% Second Amendment, 0% abortion, uh, 20% border, 
0% economy, 20% rule of law, and 0% taxes. So, um, so yeah, I would love to hear what your voice has to say about that. And um, it's, it's going to be interesting to see how that all kicks out. I've long ago stated that um, if you vote the Second Amendment first and foremost, generally speaking, everything else seems to take shape. I feel that people who are staunch supporters of the Second Amendment, I can live with the way they vote on just about everything else. This is not like 100% of the time. It's probably an 80-20. But frankly, I do believe that if the Second Amendment goes away, then it's just a matter of time before uh, tyranny rules the day again. And we're very, very close to tyranny ruling with the Second Amendment. Um, but yeah, so there you go. All right, let's get to some of the comments here because it's the chat's been firing and I've been talking like crazy. So um, let's see here. Chris says, I saw on the website that you can get firearms from PTR. Is there any restrictions here in Mass? Uh, nope, I actually have a PTR 9R on the website right now. Uh, I mean, in the shop right now, and that is the MP5. Uh, sorry, guys, I can't figure out how to get those notification sounds off my computer. Um, but uh, the 9R, it's basically like the HK94, and we've sold the uh, the HK91 ver version. They also have one uh, that's similar to the HK91, but it shoots 7.62 by 39. So we've sold all those in this, in the, in the shop. So PTR is a great American made version of that gun clone of those HK clones. So, um, yeah. So we appreciate, uh, chiming in. Oh, we got a call. I forgot to give the number. The rapid fire line is 508-444-2120. So let's go over to the, uh, rapid fire line here. Hello, you're up on Rapid Fire. How are you today? All right, Toby. It's Don up in Stoughton here. Don, good to talk to you. Hi. How are you? Oh, yes. Well, I, I make some people smile. Sometimes when I call in, sometimes when I hang up. <laughs> ha, ha, ha. <laughs> but you were talking about the H4420. Yes. And I've approached the subject before with others. But you cannot keep piling on laws hoping that somehow, some way, they will affect the evil that they're trying to address. So let's say gun violence or whatever insanity. And furthermore, Toby, if a law is enacted and it fails to perform, it should be expunged because the Constitution does not support superfluous and useless laws. I mean, it's just a waste of ink and paper. So this idiocy of the 4420 here in Massachusetts is clear to understand. And um, that guy, Ma Deuce, that uh, has sent you in some uh, messages, there's a case out of Oklahoma where they banned the sale of beer to all the young men because of what 2% of the population did when they got drunk. The Supreme Court says you can't do that. Well, if you can't do that with beer, Toby, can you do that with guns? Can you take and force people to get licensed and registered based upon, quote, these 
armed criminals of gun violence? I don't know. What do you think? Uh, I don't think you can, Don, but then again, they've been getting away with it for decades in this state, and uh, uh, it's high time we see it go uh, because it's not constitutional as far as I'm concerned. And, uh, you know, hopefully we'll see that put to an end uh, with this, um, you know, hopefully they'll do the right thing and do their job as we, you know, get go there on the 27th and say, bring Bruin to Boston. Time for you to comply, legislature, and make our laws compliant with the Constitution. And uh, they're in direct violation of the Constitution and the Massachusetts Constitution as well, Don. Yeah, no, you, you, you're correct, Toby. And the sad part is, Toby, is that so many Americans do not know what their rights are. And I'm just talking from the uh, situation of the common law, which is a very easy law to understand. The Constitution is written at the common law level. It was never written for Harvard or Yale Law School graduates. It was for the average citizen. Mm. And, and it's, it's basic, it's simple. And if you can understand it, then you know what your rights are. But again, laws cannot be superfluous. They cannot be enacted because previous ones have failed. And so we're just going to keep piling on until we hope to achieve the ends that we want. If, if the situation changes as to why the law was enacted, the law must change also. So, I mean, this is just uh, total insanity. Yeah, unfortunately, they've been getting away with murder, in my opinion, for decades, and no one's held their feet to the fire. And hopefully we'll see that see that uh, come to fruition soon enough. But yeah, you're always great uh, input there, Don. Thanks so much for the call. And, Thank uh, you, Toby. Yeah, I appreciate you. Take care. Um, so, you know, the bottom line is uh, Don's 100% right. If you create a law and it has no use, it doesn't bridge the gap that it was created to bridge, then you must do away with it. Think of how many laws are on our books. I was talking to my state rep the other day, uh, Stephen Exaros, who's been a great, um, a great proponent of the Second Amendment and vehemently opposes HD 4420. But he said in January, when the Congress comes together for a new session, there's 7,000 laws proposed every January. 7,000 laws. Let that sink in for a minute. How do, we, how do we exist as a country if we have, if there's 7,000 laws out there that are just waiting to be passed, that should be passed, that isn't passed, or that haven't been passed yet? I think they've become this self-perpetuating, self-justifying agency. We could probably say, I, I think uh, Jim Wallace had a great idea, and that is let our legislature come together for 30 days out of the year. Do a part-time legislature and say, you got 30 days. Ready, set, go and let them pass the most important of bills. We don't need 7,000 new laws on the books. All we're doing is giving them a year as a full-time legislature. They're making you know, multiple six-figure incomes, depending on how many committees and how much stipend they get for travel. 
and uh, et cetera, et cetera, and including that they don't even show up at the state house anymore. And all we're doing is giving them 12 months out of the year to sit there and think up new restrictions, new regulations, new laws, new ways of constricting our freedom. And every law that gets passed has a consequence. I like it. I would love to have an audit of all laws on the books and say, we need to tear these down. Like, especially since ignorance is no excuse of the law. How are you supposed to keep track of 7,000 new laws on the books? And yet ignorance is no excuse. So if you run afoul of the law, you're going to be incarcerated or fined or charged or, um, you know, uh, brought, brought up on charges that you had no idea about a law that passed. Give me a break. We've, we've become a bloated tick. The, it's a parasite host relationship. The legislature has become a parasitic organism that sucks from the blood of the people and looks at us like a open purse or an open pocketbook or um, looks at us as an ATM, you know, uh, just sucking our hard-earned money from us at any given and every given opportunity in order to, you know, pad their uh, spending habits and pad their civic obligations to, you know, give back to whoever put them in power or their, uh, you know, the, the, the groups that gave to their campaign. It is really uh, upside down. And, you know, the part of small government, which our, our founders were very adamant about, uh, we've lost our way. We've lost our way. All right, let's get back to the chat. And if you want to be on the phone, it's 508-444-2120. Let's see, uh, where do I get one of those signs? Aaron wants to know. Well, I'm glad you asked. We got a bunch coming up here to Cape Gunworks. Uh, Probably won't have them before Sunday at the Top Shot Invitational. The Gun Owners Action League crew has a team in the event. And I'm hoping and praying that they bring them down. And, uh, but we're going to get two or 300 signs here at Cape Gunworks uh, so that we can put them out. And, uh, you know, I've already been through 300 signs. So that's great. I see them everywhere when I'm traveling around. This is really, really good. As I was bringing my son to college a couple of weeks ago, um, we, we saw them on the way up to UMass Amherst, right by the school, which was exciting. Um, as I dropped my daughter off to school this morning, uh, I saw them to and from the school, uh, took a different route both ways. So th- that was exciting. Uh, and there's been standouts on the overpasses, uh, but I got people beating our door down for signs. So uh, stand by because we are going to be getting them. Gold just got another thousand of them, I think. So uh, you can check the Gold website and um, we will be getting more soon, I hope. Um, so there you have it. Uh, ASD has a good point, and the anti-2A people aren't about to compromise. You're right, they aren't going to compromise, but they make it sound like they do um, because they're playing a long game. They're, they're willing to compromise on incremental little, little 
uh, how do I say it, little wins, little victories. So they make it seem like they're compromising, but ultimately it's incremental progress for them. They know they're not going to ban guns tomorrow and have, you know, confiscation and mandatory turning. That's ultimately the goal, but they're not going to get that through tomorrow. And so they're willing to play the long game. Um, let's see. Oh, uh, Supreme Court case out of Oklahoma that you do not punish the other 90% out of a population based upon 2%. Yes, thank you for that. I think that's what uh, Don was just um, talking about. Um, let's see. Uh, the, the one thing, uh, one of the other thing, big breaking news of the day is um, this this case with uh, Liberty Safe, um, I don't know if you guys have seen it. It's all over social media, but um, one of the J6ers who got arrested just the other day uh, out in front of his business, and um, he was, he was, uh, the police came in and seized his firearms out of the Liberty Safe that he had at, at his house. And um, what happened was um, the the J uh, I'm sorry the FBI went in. He had a Liberty Safe there. They called Liberty Safe, said we have a search warrant, and uh, apparently Liberty Safe said uh, once they produced the search warrant, we gave them the code to crack the safe, and uh, that has caused a firestorm in the in the gun world. Uh, <clears throat> so. There's a lot of people saying, and I think a lot of it's clickbait, but saying like, oh, are you going to support uh, Liberty Safe, et cetera, et cetera. And uh, the, the problem is they probably could have been, uh, what's the word I'm trying to, they could have been compelled by the feds to open the safe. I think we're missing the point if we're going to sit here and argue the nuance of that. What would be better is if there's a notice on every Liberty Safe or any safe company for that matter on the front of the safe that says, do not lose your combination to this safe because we can't get back in. The only way to open this safe is with your combination or the key backup. And we don't have a backdoor entry into your safe. That would be a safe I would buy. Um, because if they all have a backdoor way to get in and they can comply, they, they can tell the feds how to get into your safe, you know, that truly isn't a safe. Um, but let's put it this way. Even if they didn't give them the codes, they would have torched the thing open right? If they had the right to, you know, do that, or they had the paperwork in, in um, order to do that. Maybe they would have called, I'm sure in the old days, they called the locksmith and paid the locksmith fee. Uh, but I noticed one of his charges was impeding an investigation. So he probably refused to give them the safe password or code and open the safe. But, um, I don't know. So the 
the guys who broke this story is uh, the Hodge twins. And they did a little post on X and it said, um, I'm going to read it to you here. Uh, they said, last week, a friend of ours was raided by the feds over J6. His name is Nathan Hughes and he is from Fayetteville, Arkansas. Nate was raided by the FBI and arrested at gunpoint. His girlfriend, who had just had a miscarriage, was held at gunpoint and put in handcuffs. The FBI turned off his security cameras, unplugged his internet, and flipped his house upside down in a search. The feds called the manufacturer of his Liberty gun safe and got a passcode to get into it too, all for protesting at the Capitol over two and a half years ago. He is being charged with crimes related to January 6th. He didn't assault anyone and he didn't vandalize anything. He is being labeled a domestic terrorist and a traitor to his country by woke leftists and the media. Nate is just like us. He's an outspoken American patriot. He loves his freedom, loves his country, and would do anything to preserve our rights. He's been fighting to save our country for years now. He's also a small business owner and a family that has a family that relies on him. We all know how heated this political climate is getting, but they've pushed too far and it's time for people to speak up and for people getting screwed by the system. BLM and Antifa can go burn down our cities and get off the hook. But Trump supporters get raided and rounded up for protesting. Nate's legal bills to fight this char these charges will be over a hundred grand. So we are donating five thousand in Nathan's defense fund to start it out. Hope you can donate something too. Um, and they put a link in the next tweet. They show a picture of his uh, mugshot with a click on Give Send Go to uh, support Nathan Hughes. And. The whole J6 thing is something that is really disturbing. Uh, there's people that are still being held uncharged with crimes. There's people that are being held. Uh, you got the Proud Boys leader that was sentenced to 22 years in jail. And he wasn't even present at the at the Capitol, U.S. Capitol. is because he was urging on his supporters to go into the Capitol building. So he's been charged with sedition and everything else. So it's it's just insanity that we're seeing sentencing of people over J6 that is way stiffer than anything else out there. I mean, people aren't getting 22 years for murder these days. It's unbelievably. It's unbelievable. Uh, let's see. Um, getting back to your so i wanted to touch on that you guys can go either give go to his give send go uh but at least uh you know show your support and whatnot uh let's see ghost gun guy says that laws that do not control the evil are ineffective and superfluous as and such unconstitutional uh you do not keep piling on more and more laws to address ineffective laws yeah i agree um Let's see. Uh, um, yep, Toby, that is so wrong on all levels. Um, even if it comes, if he comes to the show, I can't see him earning the endorsement because he that believes what he said on his website and sticks by it or comes on your show and downplays what he really believes. Yeah, I agree. Um, but I, you know what? It's time to let people explain their position. And maybe he's misinformed on this. So maybe we could make him a true Second Amendment advocate. So, um, yeah. Uh, let's see. 
why is Goal not using WordPress? I have no idea, Skill. Um, let's see. Are you a, yeah, so let's check in on the poll. Um, are you a single issue voter? And if so, what is the issue you vote on? Second Amendment is 62.5% now, and Border is the other 37.5%. Uh, so go ahead and vote in our poll at rapidfireradio.us or go to Twitter, all one word, Rapid Fire Radio, or X as it's uh, called. Um, so yeah, um, I went a little long in that last segment. So we're going to uh, go to a quick break here and then get ready for the second hour of the show. Uh, we got BJ Gannam coming on the show. He's a combat veteran, and I'm really excited about that. So uh, yeah, we'll be right back. You're listening to Rapid Fire. Carrying a firearm for personal protection has never been more popular than it is today. The USCCA can help fortify your home, sharpen your awareness, and develop your defensive plan. Go to uscca.co forward slash rapid fire to sign up. Your family's safety and security is your responsibility. Go to uscca.co forward slash rapid fire to sign up for a USCCA membership and get special training, legal advice, and legal protection you and your family need. And welcome back to Rapid Fire, your weekly show, all things guns, freedom, Second Amendment, and self-defense. I'm your host, Toby Leary. I'm glad you're here with me today and talking about guns and freedom. So uh, if you want to be a part of the show, you can give us a call, 508-444-2120, or make sure you jump in the chat and we'll get to your comments as they roll in. A um, couple quick things here. Uh, one is another local thing that happened, which will be interesting to see how it all plays out um, as of the, you know, with the whole Jack Jones case that came through. First of all, a couple of weeks ago, we had a case in Lowell District Court, Middlesex County, that um, of a New Hampshire resident that came to Massachusetts with his firearm and was arrested and charged with unlicensed possession of a firearm. Uh, it was it was kind of kicked around that maybe he would um, maybe he would end up uh, you know getting this these well number one he got off the the Lowell district judge wrote a great uh, piece on how you don't sur surrender your second amendment rights just by crossing state lines just like if you were going to church in New Hampshire and you decided to go to church in Massachusetts. You don't all of a sudden surrender your rights by crossing the border. You can attend a church in Massachusetts, no problem. Uh, so, you know, that doesn't carry weight. Um, and so he used the Bruin decision as his, um, you know, the process for which he ruled on this case, and he ruled rightly. So then we had the Jack Jones case, the Patriots player that got arrested 
with a couple of guns um, at the airport. And he got pretrial probation. So basically, they dismissed it with pretrial pro probation for one year, basically saying, hey, just keep your nose clean, keep your head out of water for a year, and you'll be fine. And um, that that went, you know, that happened. So basically, um, now we have a new case that just happened uh, a couple days ago, a yacht owner arrested on gun and drug charges after woman rescued from boat in Nantucket Harbor. There's very few details about this right now, but says an investigation that followed the rescue of a woman in medical distress from a yacht anchored in Nantucket Harbor led to several gun and drug charges for the boat's owner, police said. According to the Nantucket Police Department, the incident began at 7.47 a.m. on Tuesday with a report of a woman in need of medical assistance. I wonder if that has something to do with the drug charges. Help from the Nantucket Harbor Master's Office, U.S. Coast Guard and Nantucket Fire Department was mobilized and they brought the woman to Nantucket Cottage Hospital. Officials did not specify the nature of her medical emergency. The owner of the boat was identified as Scott Burke of Key Largo, Florida, and the Nantucket police arrested him for two counts of possession of a firearm without a license. Subsequent investigation involving police and DEA led to a, a additional charges of trafficking, possession to distribute, possession of a firearm without a license, possession of ammunition without a license, and four counts of possession of large capacity feeding device. So uh, this, this will be an interesting case to see what happens if, if in fact he will end up, uh, you know, if these charges on the gun charges will stick or if they'll be dropped now that there's been two precedent, basically one for giving pretrial probation and two for giving um for giving a uh, a dismissal, outright dismissal. Uh, so if his attorneys, which it seems likely his attorneys will probably, uh, you know, use the low precedent. And uh, if enough of these are getting dropped and dismissed, uh, it kind of leaves the law to be somewhat neutered, right? And ineffective. If it continues to happen, I wonder if uh, the more Healy's uh, attorney general will actually seek to appeal uh, or the district attorneys. That, that would be interesting because if they appeal and it goes to the first circuit and they end up upholding the decision, then guess what? It basically makes national reciprocity a thing. Obviously it would have to go all the way to the Supreme court for it to affect the nation. But if the First Circuit overturns the lower court, who I believe ru ruled rightly on this, then I think we will in some way have a, uh, a, a, a decision that'll be ripe for the Supreme Court to rule on. Uh, so that would be great. Uh, I, we, we live in hope, right? Um, and I hate to say, like, it sounds like this guy was maybe even a drug dealer, and I'm not saying I hope the guy gets off. Uh, I'm just saying that um, if you are a felon simply by going across state lines, then that's a problem. If you aren't a felon by going across state lines, then 
What's the point of a license? It doesn't make sense. And if you're from a state that doesn't require license, how can you comply going across state lines to a state that does require a license if you're, you don't surrender those rights? So it, it creates this quandary that the courts are going to have to rule on. And this is the first domino to fall in this, um, you know, crossing state lines. Plus international, uh, sorry, interstate commerce comes into a, uh, into effect. So, yeah. And Anne-Marie, you're 100% right. All the while, Hunter gets a slap. Uh, he got the same pretrial probation or pretrial, um, I forget what they actually call it. That's a, uh, it's like a forbearance type of program where the charges will be uh, put off uh, if he keeps his nose clean and his you know, if he doesn't drink any alcohol or get involved in any drugs or whatever. So um, it's one of those things, you know. Um, I hope that he will actually have to face the music on, on that. And I hope that he gets off, <laughs> frankly, uh, because again, that a lot of the questions, whenever I give someone the form 4473, the federal firearms form, I, I, as I'm explaining it to him, like fill this part out, all this stuff about race, ethnicity, gender, all the stuff that I am not legally able to ask on a job application. But the feds can ask it on your exercising of your second amendment. Go figure. So uh, yeah, it's, it's crazy stuff. So anyway, that's the first hour in the bag, guys. Uh, it was... Great talking to you as always. Um, we have BJ Gannam in the next hour. So you don't want to miss out. He's the founder of Sierra Delta, a pretty cool charitable organization. I look forward to talking to him. And uh, you're going to look forward to listening to him. But uh, I appreciate you guys listening in every week. And uh, don't forget, be a great advocate of a Second Amendment uh, supporter in your community, put on the face of responsible gun ownership. And, uh, you know, we'll see you on the other side. I appreciate you guys. So don't go away. We'll be right back. Carrying a firearm for personal protection has never been more popular than it is today. The USCCA can help fortify your home, sharpen your awareness, and develop your defensive plan Go to uscca.co forward slash rapid fire to sign up. Your family's safety and security is your responsibility. Go to uscca.co forward slash rapid fire to sign up for a USCCA membership and get special training, legal advice, and legal protection you and your family need. And welcome back to Rapid Fire. I'm your host, Toby Leary. Join us each and every week for this show that... It's all things guns, freedom, Second Amendment, and self-defense, sponsored by Vortex Optics and the USCCA. I'm really happy to have with us for the second hour, uh, BJ Gannam, who, uh, thanks for being on the show today, BJ. Hopefully, you can hear me loud and clear. Yeah, thanks for having me. Can you hear me? And hooray! For once, I can hear you. <laughs> <laughs> We've had some technical difficulties with uh, the audio in the last couple shows, but uh, yeah, so... Um, Really excited. We've been, you know, talking on text via past couple months about getting you on the show, and the day has finally arrived. So, here. Uh, yeah, I'm glad you're here. And uh, 
why don't you tell our listeners uh, a little bit about who you are and what it is you do and why you chose to do it. And uh, I appreciate your time. And uh, I want to give you plenty of time to tell your story. I know it's one that I'm looking forward to hearing. And uh, so go ahead, tell everyone who you are and what it is you do. I'm BJ Gannon. I'm uh, uh, just a, an American that loves this country. And uh, I served my country in the United States Marine Corps. I joined in 1996 after University of Georgia Southern politely asked me not to come back to school after I posted a 1.3 grade point average. So I joined the United States Marine Corps to be an infantryman, served for four years on active duty. There was nothing much going on between 96 and 2000. I decided to get out and try to climb that corporate ladder, but I wanted to stay an infantryman. So I stayed in the ready reserves, drilled one week in a month and two weeks a year with a golf company here in Madison, Wisconsin. And uh, in 2004, we were activated to the global war on terrorism and we went to Iraq. And November 25th, Thanksgiving night, I was injured by an IED that killed my gunner, Ryan Contafio from Beaver Dam, Wisconsin, and also left me without a left foot and ended my Marine Corps career after nine and a half years. I retired uh, after leaving Walter Reed in October of 2005. Went back to the corporate world until 2011. Just my heart wasn't in it anymore. I was, I uh, did all the stereotypical things that veterans do when they are injured and drank too much, got in trouble with the law, and just really wasn't, just didn't have a purpose anymore. I wasn't ready to not be a United States Marine. And I felt like I had more to give. And what really ate at me was that I uh, didn't finish that combat deployment. And though I know reasonably, there's a good reason why, and I'm lucky to be alive, and I am grateful for that. It it did, it did cause some hard hard stress, you know, to go yeah. through that that the area of depression. I mean, to say it, I mean, that's just the the way to say it. I was depressed. I was angry. I was frustrated, and um, I needed to find my way through it. And in my lowest point, I after getting a DUI and. Um, you know, I was going through a bankruptcy and a bad divorce. I thought it's probably best that I just check out, that I should have been killed there in, in Iraq. And if it wasn't for my bulldog, Dozer, who uh, died in 2018, uh, just a nothing special dog, no special breeding, no special training. I bought him off Craigslist for like $800 and picked him up in a trailer park in Sun Prairie. So, uh, but he was my slobbery bulldog and and he was always there for me he always knew no matter part where i was in our house or our apartment uh, when i was having phantom pains and he would show up and, and made it better but in that moment of desperation it was that dog that made me realize that if i checked out uh, no one would be there to, to take care of that dog he'd end up in the shelter and most likely be euthanized himself and that was enough for me to see through my own depression and start living what I call on the good foot. No matter if it's my God-given flesh and blood foot or my carbon fiber and steel foot that I have from the United States government now, um, I was gonna be living on the good foot like James Brown sung about in that song. You know, I got a funky job and I'm paying my bills on the good foot, right? So I was gonna <laughs> keep putting one foot in front of the other, work on myself. I left Kraft Foods and went became a, a veteran service officer and did that for a couple of years, but I couldn't stand the bureaucracy of the government and felt that there was a lot of waste 
happening with these organizations and left to go work for a nonprofit Semper Fi fund that was there for me from the moment I was injured and, and is still there for myself and a bunch of other injured uh, or wounded men and women from this global war on terrorism. And eventually I stepped out on my own because I'd met the Bishop family and gotten real close with Blue Buffalo. And we were seeing the, the really positive effects of dogs, not only on my life, but on other people's lives. And we wanted to see if we could develop a, a way to help more veterans and dogs. Mm -hmm. and at first, we focused on the service dogs. And what we realized um, was that only about 1% of the total veterans need a service dog, like an ADA compliant service dog. The rest of us just need a really good dog. Um, and we need those healthy routines and we need a community of support to where we can essentially have targets and hit them again like we did in the military. What I think the majority of us that struggle when we return from military service, what we struggle with the most is not what we did overseas or any of things like that. It's how we fit into this country where we've given so much sacrifice to, to allow people to be free. And then we see how we're treated, which I know a lot of people really respect us. And there's a lot of thank you for your service, but sometimes it feels more like pity, more like charity than how I think the veteran brand needs to be looked at is more like an Ivy League school graduate. There's only just over 18 million veterans in this country and we're shrinking. 12 million of that 18 million is 55 and older with another 4 million of that 12 million being 75 and older. And we don't have that big of a military force anymore and haven't for the past 20, 30 years. Right. So I really wanted us to focus on what the veterans can do to help us in our own transition back and how we can work with our civilian counterparts into making this more of a balanced affair. So we came up with Sierra Delta and we created this Life Buddy program, which is everything dog, whether you need just basic obedience training or you need more advanced training into a canine good citizen, the emotional support animal, which is technically a PTSD dog, right? Or if you need that actual medical care and you need that medical trained dog that can go anywhere get on airplanes and it can actually do a medical task for you like open mm -hmm. doors or pull wheelchairs or guide you when you're blind you know so we really wanted to help all vets and it's really helped we've been able to help over 2,000 vets since our inception in, in 2017 and i think we've really figured out a good way to bring in accredited dog trainers and also provide the, the training to the veterans right away before they pick which lane they want to get to and many of these veterans can bring their own dogs into this program or be in line to get a dog from another organization or all these things. Like veterans are adults too. And most of us are accomplished adults, even if we do have some injuries and maybe some head injuries, you know, but we're still capable individuals. And what I wanted to create was this nonprofit that would allow civilians and donors to pitch in, but also be a part of it. And, and see the training that we're going through and see what it is that we're doing every day with our dogs to achieve better mental health, spiritual health, physical health, whatever it is, we're doing it with a dog. And the reason I chose dogs is because I've seen governments, I've seen organizations, I've seen companies, I've seen people, they all quit on people at some point in time. In my 47 years of being alive on this earth, I have never seen a dog quit on a human being, even if that human being was not a good person. 
And we have yeah. hundred thousand dogs that we kill every year in this country that are healthy, that are trainable and adoptable. Yeah, you bring up a great point. And, you know, I remember as a kid having those tough days when, you know, maybe I got in trouble or my parents were mad at me for something and the dog was just as happy to see me, you know, Always. in spite of all the disappointment I'd caused the world. Yeah, uh, the dog was still just as happy about me no matter what, you know, and I remember many a times as a teenage young teenager, uh, just bawling my eyes out with my dog right there and it licking the tears off my cheeks and just, you know, unconditional love. And uh, so that's, that's, that's a powerful connection, I think that goes back to the dawn of time uh, right. that, between man and dog and uh, you know, and when I say man, I don't mean I'm not excluding mean, woman. Uh, hopefully, we understand how the English language works. But, uh, dogs. We just put yeah. you in front of them. That's right. Just these days, you got to get very specific. <laughs> you know, and and it and it should be. You know, I mean, we need to know that everybody counts in this country. Right. You all count. And again, one of the things that I try to remind people is that the military is a microcosm of the United States. Every type of person that exists in this country has served in the United States military. So that's what we do different at Sierra Delta. Every veteran is welcome to join. They join free of, free of cost. We're allowing civilians to join at $200 a year or 20 bucks a month. Um, and it's really simple. They get uh, access to the same community that we have. Um, they can see the training videos. They can see what the veterans are doing with the money that they've given to Sierra Delta. Because when the veterans are in a training program, they have to post a video once a week of what they're doing. And the trainers are, are providing videos of the training happening. And then we have a lot of fun games. We try to make this fun. You know, transitioning back to the United States should be fun. It shouldn't be work. And there's a lot of things we can learn from each other. Uh, at the end of the day, there should be room enough for everybody. And that if people don't want to be next to me, I'm okay with that. You know, but just make sure that there's room enough for me to operate wherever I want to operate, you know, because, you know, and that's what we fought for. We fought for freedom and it's OK to be different, but you have to make your own way. You can't force me to do something that you want to do that I don't want to do and I can't right. do vice versa. Yeah. You know, and, and just really trying to simplify this. But you brought up a great point. And, and this was something I bring up a lot of times is that, you know, Dogs and humans have been working together for 35,000 years. Like in 2023, I think it's ridiculous that of all the dog organizations that say they're helping vets, if you add them all up, it only equals a thousand a year. Mm. Like we should be doing better than that. A thousand dogs? A thousand yeah. veterans a year getting help. Oh, wow. And that's using the traditional service dog model. When you look at these service dog organizations with five-year waiting lists and they're saying it's anywhere from thirty-five thousand to sixty-five thousand a dog mm. i don't think that that's exactly what the veteran population needs i think that's what blind people might need i think that's what people with severe disabilities but the vast majority of the veterans do not have that severe disabilities look at me like i'm missing a leg mm. i don't need a dog to go everywhere Right. I have a hard enough time keeping up with myself. Like having a dog to go everywhere with you is like having a toddler that goes mm -hmm. everywhere. They are very helpful, but there's also there's a lot of planning that goes into place. And a lot of times our veterans talk about it makes them being in public more difficult because more people are attracted to the dogs and all that other stuff. So what we really try to do is match training with need. We let the veterans drive the bus. 
What type of training do you want with your dog? And what's going to help you feel better and do better in life and stay connected with the community? And this one thing that I hope, that I know all Americans can agree on, is that we all love dogs still, right? Whether you're red or blue or you're black or white or you're gay or straight, most people love dogs. And anybody I've ever met that didn't like dogs, I really didn't like them. So that's a good differentiator for me. <laughs> oh, I could get myself in big trouble right now because, uh, <laughs> you know, I I lobbied with uh, my wife for 22 years to get a dog before she broke and, and allowed kind of me to get one. What's that? What kind of dog do you guys get? Uh, we have a Deutsch Drahthaar, um, which is a, it's basically a German wire-haired pointer. No, uh, and I wanted a hard charging hunting dog. And it was my dream growing up to get a uh, yeah. German short haired pointer. But uh, the more I started to research on the breed and where to buy dogs and stuff, I kept coming across this rot, this Deutsch drop car, or they'd say DD in all the forums. And everyone was like, try and get a DD if you can. And I'm like, what the heck's a DD? Right. So I, I started calling breeders <laughs> and, and, uh, they would kind of laugh at me, be like, yeah, I'll put you on a waiting list, put you on the call list, put you, you know, you can give me a deposit. Maybe in two years, you'll get a dog or three years, you'll get a dog. And I'm like, it started to become an obsession with me. Like, why is it so hard to get one of these dogs? Right. And uh, they interview you, you have to either hunt or commit to testing them. You, there's like, you're not going to get one otherwise, if you're not a right. hunter, or you're going to go to all the testing. Um, so, uh, but I wanted to hunt. And uh, so the, a breeder in New Jersey finally called me and said uh, somebody had backed out on a litter, uh, not on the litter, but on a dog because the breed warden rejected him and said he couldn't be bred because of a slight overbite. So he's like, you know, instead of being like this, he's like this, Okay. his teeth. And so therefore he's not breedable. And uh, I didn't care. I was, I yeah. don't want a dog to breed. I just want a hunting dog. And so, you know, How's the listeners of this show see him all the time and my door's shut or else he'd be right here, but he goes right. to work with me every day and, and uh super awesome dog. He's how's he doing? Great. What's up? How's he doing? Oh, he's doing great. He's six years old now. Um, and they're a very difficult breed at first to, um, to kind of, you know, break in or train because they're hard headed and they're stubborn, which is probably good for me because I'm hard headed and stubborn too. But, uh, he's he's an amazing dog he's socialized well with people like some people get these dogs and and they are just dedicated hunters and uh the dogs kind of stay in a crate and you know they they yeah. live to hunt but they're they don't become good people dogs right and, and so we we had yes i, I kind of flipped the, the script a little bit more the dog is first and foremost a pet now you know dog yeah, for the home and secondly he's a hunting dog i hunt him and he does live to hunt but uh i he's now great at the house and great with people yeah. as a result so and that comes um, from socialization i mean that's yeah. one of the big things that we try to teach all people that are part of sierra delta but mainly our vets is all the things that we can do to help our dogs and build that relationship you know it's just basically understanding dogs and understanding that their world is is like whereas ours is driven more by vision theirs is driven more by smell mm. and they love a routine and and they want a job most dogs want a job and they want to make yeah. you happy i mean again this is a bond between humans and dogs that has been working for a long time and i did a lot of research on wolves as well 
a lot of the reintegration of wolves into Yellowstone. And it's just fascinating the the still similarities between wolves and dogs, even though you know they're night and day different. Don't go try to pet a wolf. Like I don't like listening to think that, oh, BJ said you can go pet a wolf. They're the same. No. But um, a lot of the attributes and a lot of their social skills are really important. And again, it, it, for us, it's reestablishing that fire team with the veteran. You know, the smallest unit in a military unit is a fire team. It can be two to four people. Mm. And so what we try to do is, is recreate that with a veteran and a dog. Whatever dog they choose, whatever pathway of training that they choose, we have a sustainable and reasonable grant process to where they get the, the not only the online help and the community help, but professional trainers in their area to help them achieve those goals that they want with their dogs, whether that's a full service ADA public access service dog go with me everywhere, or if it's, you know, a, a, a basic well-trained pet or anything in between. You know, my dog at home now is, is a uh, rescue German Shepherd, Collie, Nick's. They even think he's got some bloodhound in him. And I got him in 2020. I still wasn't ready to get a new dog. I didn't think I have two younger kids. They wanted a, a uh, furry dog they could run around with. Uh, and uh, so we were looking and, and I got this alert about this German Shepherd dog that had been abused for the first year of his life. He was a little bit reactive and he was going to get put down if anybody didn't take him. And that spoke to me. Like somebody needs to step up for this dog. And so we went and visited him and he stuck to us like Velcro, took right to the kids. I, I laughingly talk about that this this dog is not my service dog. I'm more his service human, right? Because <laughs> he freaks out when I'm not in the room and all that. But he provides me what I need. He can tell when I'm getting frustrated and he'll come nudge me and look at me and grab his ball and we'll go outside and play fetch or we'll go for a quick brisk walk or go to the trails. And it just resets me and it's helped me be a better father, be a better husband. Uh, and then just really sharing that experience that I have that relationship with him, with other veterans and helping them on their own journey, their life buddy journey, if you will, has been so just rewarding. And I think it's just a very common, easy to attain way to help with all the craziness in our world right now right you know? and these these animals is a reason why dog spells god backwards <laughs> right i mean i also heard a six-year-old girl she told us that she knew why dogs don't live as long as human and it's pretty profound she said the dogs come into this world knowing how to love and humans take a lot longer to figure it out and i think mm. that that's as pure as it can get and that's what we really focus on is that it doesn't have to be like all these ADI, ADA groups, they provide really great dogs, right? Mm -hmm. I'm not knocking them, but what I'm saying is what they're providing is Lamborghinis. When the majority of the veterans just need an F-150, you know right. what I mean? And then they can do a lot of the training with the training help because that's what we miss. Mm. You know, we've already, the U.S. government has already spent billions of dollars to make us good trainers of other people in other cultures that we don't speak the same language with and we don't share the same customs with. So for a dog, if someone can just take the time to show us what to do with our dog and then we make a game of it, we make it more like what we had in the military, it's working. You know, in this way, you know, with a grant of $2,500, we can 
help someone get to a canine good citizen or higher, you know, into those hunting type stuff. And then for five to $10,000, we can get those fully trained medical assistant service dogs and we're doing it. And it's driving the cost down, but really driving up the engagement and how many more veterans and dogs can get connected. Cause we really encourage a lot of veterans to go and adopt dogs. We're trying to set up programs to teach people how to assess the dogs in these kennels. Like you can do a service project and just go play with the dogs in your local shelters. If you understand what you're looking for in assessment wise, which is really easy to teach, you can then go to our pup finder and say, Hey, I saw this dog. It has these attributes. If anybody's looking for a dog that could be good at emotional service, you know, PTSD work or service work, or just a good high quality dog, we can work together to help find all those ones in the shelters and help find people that are willing to help. And it's working, you know, yeah. so that's what we're doing. And, you know, with your dog now that you have, I mean, even your wife, I mean, I know that's a common issue with some veterans is, is their spouses aren't dog people. Um, but has your wife taken to the dog? Like I said, I could get in big trouble with this, but no. And, uh, it's, my wife has never been a fan of dogs. She got bit when she was like a young teenager. Yeah. And uh, so as a result, never warmed back up to them, so to speak. And that's and, a scary uh, thing to get over. I mean, that's yeah, not an yeah. easy fear to overcome. Right. So that's justified. Yeah, so it's normal that, you know, someone would feel that way. Uh, however, um, then later in life, she, uh, you know, developed a uh phobia and we joke about this so she wouldn't mind me saying it but uh to hair even her own hair like as soon as it comes out of her head it's like or my head and it's in the shower it's disgusting it's gross right, right, so right. naturally dogs are hairy beasts right, right so right. uh there's hair on the floor hair and so she's got this neurotic reaction to hair and uh so as a result of that i don't think she'll ever warm up to the dog but she's right. happy for me happy for the kids and willing to tolerate the dog and i'm hoping someday he'll win her over but i'm not you know holding yeah. out on it but well, that just shows how much she loves you oh yeah that's amazing yeah, so, yeah no doubt about it she right. uh and really it was the kids that that uh because i used to tell her about how that connection i had I, I said no kid should show should grow up without a dog i i personally felt yeah and and so i Older that and one of our middle son who I just delivered to college, uh, but six years ago when we got the dog, he was having a little bit of a, you know, he's a very smart kid and he had some behavioral issues in school, and I said, honey, I think the dog will really help him, uh, ground him a little bit and give him something to think about besides himself and whatnot. And she's like, well, I'd do anything for my kids, so go ahead and get the dog. Right, you help with your son. Yeah, right. And it did help, you know, uh, and all three of our kids loved, loved the dog and still love the dog. And uh, it, unfortunately, they didn't take responsibility for the dog like I hoped, which is OK, because I knew I was going to end up doing yeah. it anyway. But I was hoping they would be a little bit more eager to, you know, feed him or walk him or play ball with him or whatever. But just when he's not at the house, if he's or a year ago, we went to Maine without him, and my kids almost had an insurrection because 
they were like, how did we not bring the dog? And it was the first year we didn't travel with them to Maine for our summer vacation. And the whole time they were just, you know, pissed off at me for not bringing the dog. And I'm like, don't worry, this will never happen again. Right. And, and, uh, you know, and it didn't this year we took the dog and it was so much better with them, yeah. uh, you know, on vacation, except if you ask my wife, but, sure. uh, yeah. and that is she, we're working on her she's a work in progress that's right um, but yeah. you know and and that, that is the magic of dogs you know mm -hmm. it, it is such a simple relationship and and the building of that bond it, it can be therapeutic even if it's not a service dog you know and that's what we really want people to see and and it really does help connect people and, and they're really special creatures and, and you know for this show especially i would imagine um this information will be helpful is that a good friend of mine, John Matter, who's uh, a former Marine as well. He served in the Marine Corps, and now he does a lot of personal security and, and whatnot. But he um, did a lot of interviews with uh, uh, violent criminals that broke into homes. And he asked mm -hmm. them, what was some of the attributes of the homes that you would stay away from. And the number one response was any, any house with a dog in it. So, I mean, it's still one of the time-tested. I mean, that's why humans started using dogs in the first place was for more protection and, and hunting right. and whatnot. And still to this day, um, they, they provide a lot of security for right. uh, humans, which is a, an amazing attribute that those animals mm. give us. Yeah, it really is. Um, so by the way, guys, we're talking with BJ Ganim here from Sierra Delta. Um, he's a, a combat veteran who, uh, was injured in war and number one thank you for your service to our country i know you already mentioned that sometimes that sounds hollow but i do and i know my listeners really uh you know tip our hats to any and all who served and uh so we're talking about his charity sierra delta which helps pair up veterans and dogs um and i love where you're going with this because you're you're saying it doesn't have to be some you know, fully vetted service dog qualified paper, you know, accredited, any dog will do from 99% of the population out right. there. And right. I think you're, you're really 100% right on that. It doesn't have to be a special breed or a special, uh, you know, have a special attribute to it. Um, most dogs are aiming to please their owners. And, uh, you know, we, um, we have a, an event coming up next this Sunday called the Veterans Top Shot Invitational. It's a shooting tournament that we do right. on right around September 11th. And uh, so it's on the 10th this year, but it's in honor of two Gold Star families here on Cape Cod. One is the Nicholas G. Xaros Fund. I know Nick. Um, yeah, yeah big, big Nick. Yeah, you've heard of him. It's a fellow Marine, I'm sure you have. Yeah. Well, uh, I know so his dad, Steve, really well. Yeah. So yep, I, yep. I, worked, I was in the Cape. So, anyway, twice, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And he passed that whole Nero's law in uh, Massachusetts here to allow EMS and first responders to, to uh, work on a service dog if it's injured um, or a police dog if it's injured in the line of duty. Whereas before you couldn't, which seems ridiculous to me, but um, and that's going to probably spread throughout the country. And then the second organization we help support is called the Heroes in Transition. Um, another uh, Marine, uh, Eric Jones, was yeah. a pilot, Marine helicopter pilot that crashed in Afghanistan. And 
and uh, paid the ultimate price. And his mother, Cindy Jones, started a charity called Heroes in Transition. Are you familiar with them? Yeah, they do great okay. work too. Yeah, yeah. he's another great, great person. And um, yeah, you pick two great organizations to support. So hats off. Yeah, to you guys. yeah. And so we're really happy. This is the fifth annual. Uh, so this Sunday, we we um we have the fifth annual. We have basically about a hundred people that shoot in four man teams, kind of like a golf tournament with yeah. a best ball type of scramble it and you shoot fun. yeah it's a it's a blast we got how many 22. people show up uh well a couple of years ago we sold out we had 98 shooters wow. um and uh this year i think we're still short of that goal but we're hoping the next few days to push us up to the top and sell out um but we have um in you know in four-man teams so it works out great i think it's actually 96 if you divide by four it's 96 shooters but um and you shoot 22 pistol 22 rifle nine millimeter pistol and nine millimeter rifle and basically uh the four-man team it's kind of like a best ball golf scramble where you know if you're good with the 22 that goes into the team score so if you're not a good shot you're not going to like bring your score down let's let's say it's the best score of each sure uh each uh iteration uh each gun that you use and we do a golf tournament in the spring. So uh, we're really excited about that. But Heroes in Transition um, does a great job with pairing up service dogs with veterans. Yep. Uh, we've got customers here at the shop that have got a dog from Heroes in Transition. Plus, they do equine therapy. And, yep. and uh, you know, they also get together as a group. And we've had them here at Cape Gunworks that come and shot like yeah, that's the, awesome. with their spouses and stuff like that. It's a, it's a ton of fun and, yeah. you know, just really happy. There's these great charities out there and uh, yeah. like your own as well. And uh, well, what we do is we partner with like, yeah, so we, the way I saw it was veterans in order to get help with a dog, they had to apply, 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 and then get either accepted or denied. Mm-hmm. So like when I was on the Drew Barrymore show a couple of years ago, I brought one of our veterans, uh, Stephanie Marvin Miller, and she was turned down by 13 service dog academies because they didn't deal with military sexual trauma. Hmm. They referred to her, she referred to us, we got her in with Southeastern Guide Dogs, they got her a dog named Leland, she's been to school, she's married, uh, she works for us now, um, and she's writing a book, and it's great. I mean, that's one of the things that I try to explain to all the dog trainers and all the dog organizations. There isn't one organization that can do it all, so that's where hmm. What we did different was we don't we pay for the training, so we partner with every organization, every uh, dog trainer, professional dog trainer that has an LLC, it has their accreditations, that has insurance. We work with other nonprofits that do it. We pay training grants to them. They have to fundraise their own stuff, but essentially we are training the veterans, and then we do the wraparound care. What I saw was also lacking with most of the groups that are giving dogs is they're so busy trying to train dogs for veterans, they can't really do a good job with the wraparound care. We take mm-hmm. care of that. So we have IDME integrated right into our website. So veterans get verified within 30 seconds. Nobody needs to send us their DD-214s. I hated that too with being an injured Marine. Every time somebody wanted to help me, I had to send my vital document over unsecured email knowing that it's going to end up in somebody's filing cabinet with no real security. And that's my whole identity is on there. 
We wanted to get rid of that. So that's another reason why it's important for these smaller organizations to know that they can partner with Sierra Delta and we can help verify that. We can help. I'm a veteran with the social work training. We have Mick Gilter that has two master's degrees and two combat tours. We have uh, Derek Tillman, who's the head of dog trainers, a master dog trainer for 20 years in the Army, and then also got out and worked at the VA for a while. He trained the G8 Summit Dogs. Anthony Smith's another 20-year Army veteran, worked with dogs. These are the two professionals that verify our other dog trainers in the community that are looking for grants for us. And then the veterans can come in. We give them classes right away of all the different ways that dogs can help them and all the different ways that Sierra Delta can help them with our partners. And then they're able to choose their own things. Oftentimes when they go to just one organization, they can only get whatever that organization is willing to give them. This right. gives them more choice in the process. This allows them to understand all the different ways that either the existing dog that they have, or if they're looking for a new dog to provide certain services, they can do this. And again, this Sierra Delta was built by veterans for veterans. And what we're saying to all of our partners is we love you. And, but we need to make this work better from a veteran's point of view, having a hundred, having 300 different organizations spread out all over the place and having us go sign, you know, go apply and get denied because of different things, right? Some people don't work with military sexual trauma. Some don't do let you bring your own dog. Like these are all too many things that veterans have to try to figure out as they're looking for help. And oftentimes in a bad mental place. So what Sierra Delta does is allow them to come in, talk to other veterans. We've helped over 2,000 veterans since 2017. And we're getting close to 2,500, 3,000. And the way we have this built is I want to get to where we're helping 50,000 veterans a year. We're not there yet. We need more money. But we have a partnership with Blue Buffalo. We've been in Walmart three times. You know, know, we – we're growing it because what we're doing is allowing the 90% of veterans that can do a lot of this work on their own with the right training and with the right counseling, get out there and understand what's available to them, right? Working dog trainers can work with us when they normally wouldn't work with service dog people because it gets too convoluted. You know, there's a lot of different things we can do together and reduce a lot of the waste if we work together and if we all focus on the veteran's point of view. Yeah. That's what should be the most important. Let me hold you right there for a sec, BJ. We're here with BJ Ganim from Sierra Delta. Uh, he's doing amazing work. We're having a very fascinating conversation. We're going to talk about this on the other side. We got to go to a quick sure. break and uh, we will be right back after this. You're listening to Rapid Fire. I'm Toby Leary. We'll be right back. Carrying a firearm for personal protection has never been more popular than it is today. The USCCA can help fortify your home, sharpen your awareness, and develop your defensive plan. Go to uscca.co forward slash rapid fire to sign up. Your family's safety and security is your responsibility. Go to uscca.co forward slash rapid fire to sign up for a USCCA membership and get special training, legal advice, and legal protection you and your family need. Federal delivers a knockout punch with the leading defensive ammo on the market. 
Federal Punch Hollow Points are accurate and reliable in all defensive situations. When you need reliability designed to provide a balanced mix of effective penetration and expansion, you need Punch Defensive Ammunition from Federal, the leader in nickel-plated brass ammo with a sealed primer to deliver reliable feeding and ignition. Get Federal Punch Defensive Hollow Point Ammunition here at Cape Gunworks. Welcome back to Rapid Fire. I'm here with BJ Gannam. I'm your host, Toby Leary. This is your weekly show, all things guns, freedom, Second Amendment, and self-defense. And uh, in this case, it's talking about uh, freedom uh, for our service veterans and how when they come back uh, from war, how can they best assimilate and and assimilate back into society. And I think BJ's uh, organization here, Sierra Delta, does a phenomenal job of of helping. And uh, you got plenty of, uh, I'm sure, reports and testimonials just like your own uh, that that has proven how effective this yeah. is. And and it's so simple. It really isn't it? it's it's, really it's so simple. And our YouTube page, you can see a lot of stories. We do what's called veteran vignettes. I think we have about thirty of them right now. I'm trying to. Get enough money to where we can pay to have, you know, hundreds of them. There's no reason we shouldn't be able to. But it, you can see the diversity in that. I mean, some people didn't go to war, and that's okay, but they still served. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there's still a burden uh, for wearing that uniform. And and there's, and there's I think that we owe it to all the men and women that served. I mean, I, I'm a combat vet, right? And I know that there is a difference in that. But I wanted to use the platform that I was given as a combat vet to extend that to every man and, man and woman that raised their right hand, said they would, and did exactly what our country asked to do. So, I mean, going to war can sometimes be like uh, luck of the draw, you know? Mm-hmm. And uh, I mean, we were first supposed to go in 2003, but Turkey shut their borders. We got bumped to 2004, you know? So there's a bunch of different things that go into it. And, and when you look at the deployment schedules, um, it's a lot of the same people going over and over again. You know, when you look at from 2001 until the war ended in a disastrous fashion, by the way, uh, yes. there's only been three, just over 3 million people deployed, right? Mm-hmm. And of that percentage deployed, there's a very small percentage that actually had combat. But there's still a lot of burden that goes into being the ones that are willing to volunteer to ensure that our freedoms are protected, that the only people we should be arguing with are Americans. We shouldn't be. Nobody else is going to come in here and tell us what to do. I mean, obviously, we got to fix our government. Like, it's just gone completely haywire. Mm-hmm. That's something that we have to do as free people. Right. And uh, we have the ability to do that. We just got to stop listening to cable news and just start having conversations with each other and mm-hmm. figure out what it is we want to do. And then, of course, we got to get rid of. You know, we got to figure out some way to not have so many what I call parasites in our government. You can't have people just serving for extremely long times. That's no good for anybody. I talked about that in the whole first hour. Yeah. Government has just become this bloated tick. It's like this parasite host relationship where they dig in like ticks for 40, 50, 60 years and and uh, get rich off the system instead of being a representative of the people that are sitting and there. And become more complacent. And you see it all the way down through all government positions. And again, we um, need to be more 
and, and our government should be more um, proactive in trying to stay up to date. I mean, one of the things that is most frustrating about the VA, and I will say this, that I've gotten good care from the people that work at the VA, right? Mm -hmm. The people that work at the VA do care. The systems that come down from DC are antiquated. They make, they don't make any sense. Like literally I'm waiting for an uh, approval to be able to get into the Madison VA because they had a federal auditor come down and say that we were getting our legs too fast, our am amputees. And that the reason why is because if my group, the doctors, the prosthetists, the physical therapists, we all agreed that this was the plan moving forward. They would send the paperwork up to DC and then start the build. So by the time the paperwork came back, my leg was ready. They said, we're no longer allowed to do that. The DC has to approve this. And so now I've been waiting for an extra four months on a leg that's breaking down uh, because of some bureaucratic mess. And this is enough's enough. You know right. what I mean? Like I appreciate the people that want to serve our country and, and office. We need that. We need our government workers. But our government workers. I'm from the government and I'm here to help. That's right. That's the scariest <laughs> thing you're ever going to hear. You know, but we need to really. And again, it, it falls back to us. Like this is, there ain't nobody coming to save us. Right. We have to be more purposeful with how we interact with each other, with what we're doing. We need to look at getting involved and we also need to say, hey, we don't need those government programs anymore. You know, we've got to figure out a way because what it looks like to me, I'm a novice. I'm just a, I'm just a chubby one-legged vet trying to make a difference in the world. That's all I am, right? So there's, I'm special but for what it looks like right now our best welfare programs are government jobs because we saw in the pandemic nothing happened to our government workers they still got their paychecks while the rest of us were trying to figure out what to do and to me that's wrong if your right. population cannot sustain themselves but the people that are supposed to be representatives of us have no trouble we've got issues there yeah, no, I agree with you 100%. And, uh, you know, a former employee of ours, uh, Josh Tipton, just recently uh, chose to, to end his life, unfortunately. And, and we, uh, you know, I think about what you're saying here, and I wonder if something could have been done. You know, obviously, he made his choice. I just wish that there was something that could have been done for him going through that level of pain. You know, and maybe and I would say this as someone that seriously considered ending my own life. We can't quit. Yeah. And as hard as it is, as painful as it is, we've got to find a way. Again, I used a good foot mantra. That's what I do. I just got to keep putting one foot in front of the other. And life is hard. Right. Life's supposed to be hard. You know, mm -hmm. I think we take it for granted that the average age expectancy in this country is like 76. Mm -hmm. You rewind a hundred years ago, it was a miracle to live to like 60. Right. A miracle to live to 55. Like we also have to look at the blessings that we have. And a lot of that has been done because of some good governmental service. I will give credit where credit is due. And sure. but our well, what's going to fix us is not going to be any law. It doesn't matter who we elect, in my opinion. Right. The elections are coming next year. I don't see anybody that's running that's going to make a difference than what it is today. I I I think that. I'm not saying that there needs to be revolution or anything, but I think we need to come up with innovation. 
like Sierra Delta did. We looked at a common problem and we looked at how we can solve it reasonably and sustainably without the government. We take no government grants. I have no intention of taking any government grants. If you're running for office and you're looking for my help, which I get calls of all the time, I'm not the guy you want to call. You do mm. your thing. I'm not going to speak against you. I'm also not going to speak for you. I don't believe in our government right now, but that's me. And I'm just a regular person trying to do some good work with dogs and our veterans and the people that support veterans and the people that love dogs. Yeah. That's all I want to do right now. And again, that's where I can only be so critical, right? If I'm not going to throw my hat in the ring, I'm not going to be the critic pointing at the ones in office. But when I look at this quagmire that we're in, I can't see a reasonable way out of it. I really don't. Mm -hmm. Both sides, to both political parties, like I'm sure you've listened to uh, uh, Oliver Anthony's music, right? Oh, yeah. I'm in the same boat. I really don't like either one of these political parties. I think they're both acting like terrorist organizations and they're mm. causing a lot of unnecessary pain and suffering in this country so that they can get a vote and so that they can maintain whatever power they have. And that's not the way this is supposed to work. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree with you more. I'm unenrolled uh, myself and uh, I'm actually running for uh, town council here. Good in you. How's that town. going? It's going good. I just... I haven't turned in my nomination papers yet. You have to get 50 signatures. And uh, I have over 50 signatures, but they say to get 100 because they're going to kick out half of them, you know, if they're too messy or they write outside the lines or whatever. So I'm getting some extras just to be on the so safe there's side. There's no way to do that online with verified emails. It still has to be actual signature. How do they know that they, you had a new, how do they verify a signature? Like, why can't you just have your kids and all the other kids just sign names? Like, how does that work? Like, how do they verify a signature? That's a great question. Um, and the funny thing is they don't even technically want a signature because if they can't read it, if you're like a doctor's signature and they can't read it, they're going to kick it out. So well, I just ask everyone to print. Just print your name and address and that's it. And, then why can't and, you just print everybody's? Like, I don't, to me, that's an antiquated system. It is. And, it and, and I don't is. even understand how that's acceptable in 2023 from America, the, the richest country in the world with the most technological advances that I've seen as I travel, and I haven't been everywhere, but to me, that's just wrought for, you know, uh, shenanigans. Uh, right. I'm not saying that there's election, I'm not trying to do that, but if these are the basis, the base block for you to get into a town council, how does that work? Like, I don't even understand, like, how that is even so like in Sierra Delta. I think I think they look at it like this, though. It's a lower threshold to get put on the ballot. Like the election is ultimately what's going to either vote me in or not. So this is literally just like, you know, to get you on the ballot. And it shouldn't be too hard to get 50 no, signatures to get on the ballot. So I think uh, if I had to make an excuse for the antiquated system, that's what it would be. But I mean, seriously, and, and especially in the Cape, like there's some of the smartest people there in the Cape. It's a beautiful area. I love it down there. I, I, we've done a lot of events in Nantucket and on the Cape. And I, I, I didn't know that that was still what it took to actually run for office was signatures like that. Yeah, that's. That's and depending on which office you're running for, it might be more signatures, you know, like if you're running for, I think, uh, 
a town-wide seat, sure. it's a hundred signatures. What if you're running for like state office? Is it still you got a bunch of signatures? I think it's five hundred. Wow. I think it's five hundred. Yep, to get on the nomination to get nominated, but you know. Um, so do you have to mail stuff to people? Or are you supposed to go door to door? I. I, a little of both. I went, I mailed a bunch of, well, I didn't mail anything yet. I emailed about 500 people that I had email addresses for that live in the, the zip code of where I'm running. And um, they actually printed, the ones that support me, printed and signed and mailed, snail nailed, mailed back to my house, the nomination paper, which I was grateful for. I got, oh, absolutely. Good on I them. got a whole bunch that way. But and, uh, I just can't imagine that in 2023, this is the process. Yeah. But you know what's ironic about that is I've been voting for 30 years now in elections. And every single one I've voted in has been with electronic voting machines. Yeah. It's never been like the paper chads or, you know, we fill out the paper ballot, but it all, they all go into the machine. machine yeah. For 30 years. And yeah. I know. The rest of the country has been slower to getting to that. I actually want to go back to just paper ballots, just for the sake of removing the appearance of evil, if you will. If the, you know, the machines are are bad, then let's just remove that. Even if they're not, let's remove it and go. France did it. It went back to paper ballots. They knew that night who won the election, and that was yeah. on national presidential election yeah but have you seen paris doing it, but... have you seen paris lately you got homeless people just taking dumps in the front oh. of people like so i don't you know I, I i get what you're saying to a certain degree but also like there's ways that i mean so much like we do how many bank transactions electronically like i can't even i, I can't even remember the last time i used a check right and that's money that's value and i know that there's people like i've been doing that for forever and right. I have zero issue with it again like it's just and I'm no crypto person or anything like I just use basic security stuff and not let my right. social security number out there and however as a retailer yeah we we are rot with fraud um we had one friday a couple weeks ago where we had $12,000 worth of fraudulent charges on our website really and yeah and uh everything checked out like the the credit card the address the the four digit number the name everything checked out and we had like the tightest security you could get on our checkout process and that that one day that was just one day twelve thousand. and for the retailer we don't have like credit card protection where like yeah 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 we get screwed out of the money. We get screwed out of the product. We get screwed out of the shipping. And, uh, you know, that's just the way it is. So for me, like, I see that side of it too and go, you know, whatever. I mean, we could go down a rabbit hole. No, yeah, that. Like, that makes sense. You know, it just comes yeah. back that, you know, what we need in a free society is we need core values. You know, and yeah, the core they taught, honor, courage, and commitment. In Sierra Delta, our core values spell ethic. It's empowerment, purpose, innovation, and community. You know, and so somehow we've got to find some core values that we can all agree on. You know, it, it, it's it's such a convoluted mess, but you know, hard things are the hard things, and and 
I applaud you for running the town council, you know, and, and getting involved. Um, and, and, and that's what we need. We need more ethical people to run and to force people that have been in for a while that are either going to get complacent or get corrupt, corrupted, you know, and, and that's what I think a lot of changeover can do is it reduces the amount of complacency, which is almost just as bad as the corruption, you know, and that's been my, in my 47 years, you know, and every time I've dealt with the government, especially here in the last 20, the government feels more complacent or corrupt. You know, it doesn't feel like it's actually serving us. It feels like we are serving them. Uh, And again, I'm not advocating for a revolution or anything like that. But what I am advocating for is we need new ideas. Mm -hmm. Um, So many and what's so frustrating about the VA is it's so antiquated. It is so hard to I mean, I still get letters like they'll give me a letter for my appointment. They've done better with some, but a lot of it is still letters. You need to show up at this time. I'm like, I can't show up at that time. Well, we'll put you back in and you get these other letters. And it's and, you know, the VA is only servicing 30 percent of the total number of veterans that are here. It's 18 million vets, only six million even uh, get services. Nine million have been registered. But. It's not like just because you're a veteran, you get health care from the VA. It doesn't work that way. No. You know, and that's sad because yeah. their, their budget is $164 billion annually. And it just doesn't seem right to me. And especially when you look at DOD, I really don't understand why we have DOD at $686 billion or whatever it is. And then VA over here, why can't DOD own us from the moment that we raise our right hand until the moment we die? Mm. Why don't you make 20% of their annual budget be for veteran care maybe then the pentagon and all these uh politicians wouldn't be so loosey-goosey with these political wars and actually only call us when we actually have a designated enemy that we need to fight and we can go get them because what i saw in iraq is we were doing our best in a in a country full of people that had no dog in the fight and we had all these other people coming from other countries to come fight the big bad usa and they weren't wearing uniforms and they're not adhering to the, the, the Geneva Convention. So we're fighting ideologies right now. And again, our military is antiquated. There's a lot of waste in our military. And that's, yeah. you know, and that's where we need Americans to really pay attention. And that the, the struggles that our veterans are having is because everybody likes to complain. Everybody likes to go protest, but nobody actually wants to do the work it's going to take to be the change we want to see in the world. Mm. And that's what we're trying to do with Sierra Delta. As a very, that's, very small portion is we want to help all these men and women that are raised their right hand and help them with the with the the love of a dog. Yeah, you know? that's amazing. It's a uh, it's really good work you're doing, BJ, and I I appreciate your uh, your commitment to that. And you know that is making a huge difference in so many people's lives. And I know our listeners are going to do a do the right thing and go support your organization. Oh. And I'm I'm happy to happy to help ourselves. And, uh, and, um, you know, I think that the world is, if we all do our part to make the world a better place, it, it'll have massive, uh, change that will happen over time. And, uh, you know, but all we can do is our part and, and that's, uh, that's huge. So if people want to find your organization or donate or follow your work, where can they go or what, what should they do? 
go to sierradelta.com. It's the best way. Right there, you can donate. You can look at joining uh, veterans. You can go right there and join. You know, you can find us on Facebook and Instagram is where we're most active. We're trying to get up on Instagram or, excuse me, uh, LinkedIn and, uh, you know, Twitter. Or it's called something. Else. I think it's called X. Now. X yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, so, I mean, we're trying to keep up with social. I mean, we're on YouTube, so you can go see that those videos there. But we're really, you know, we're, we're doing the best we can. We're trying to put as most of our money towards training and then also educating the public. And, um, you know, I think together, you know, let's let's see what we can do. I mean, mm. again, there's plenty of veterans that could utilize a dog. Actually, 68% of the veterans that come to us already have a dog. So mm. let's just start there. Let's make some connections and let's let's remind ourselves that, you know, this country of 365 million, I mean, we're all American. So we got to figure out, you know, how we're going to do this going forward because mm. these these past few years have been hard, you know. Yeah. Um, it's been really hard and, and and i don't know are we wrapping up or yeah yeah we're, okay. we're coming to the end so, yeah, yeah. join in join in the sierra delta i mean we i think what i'm challenging the veterans to do is that we need to get our leadership back at the community level our country needs that more now than ever let's start with reestablishing your fire team with a dog get in the community of other dog lovers and then let's see what else we can do maybe we can get some service projects going maybe we can help having some more uh, open and honest conversations centered around the fact that hey, we're all Americans and we all love dogs, but let's let's talk about this to where we can find some resolution. Um, hey, you know what? Something just occurred to me too is, uh, and yeah, we are in closing, but it, it, I think it's worth worth saying. Uh, what do you do when you see someone with a dog? Right? It it's an icebreaker, it is. and you have no idea what that person is, where they stand about anything but it's a conversation starter and uh just this morning i was grabbing a coffee and the guy chained his dog to the post because he had to run back inside so what do i do i saddle up next to the dog and i sit there and i'm petting his dog and talking to the dog and the dog's laying his head on my foot and you know it, it was just and then when he came back it was an easy conversation to have yeah and that's cool because it's bridging this gap when yeah. where we're all sitting at our cell phones looking like this and drinking our coffee in in solitude hey guess what the dog does is everyone comes over when i'm out with my dog and wants to pet him wants to see him wants to say hi and you know, that's you know, another whole added benefit, whole benefit right and the yeah. one thing i will say is when you see a person with their dog don't pet their dog right away mm. you know talk to the person first i, I try yeah. to say it's like their kids right yeah you no, don't want to just point. grab up and grab their kids so if it's a service dog or not, just talk to the handler first. Talk to the person that's on the other side of the leash and because that will help the dog as well. Especially yeah. if it's a working service dog, that dog is working, it can't have any distractions. But if it's a dog like mine, it can still have some reactive. So if you come up too quick on it, you spook them and you might get nipped, just talk to me and then I can mm. put them in that right thing. So that's a great point. Again, I think dogs can really bring a lot of healing into this world, both for individuals and groups. And thank you for giving me this time yeah. to, talk to your your uh, audience. And and thank you for what you're doing. I obviously, um, you know, I believe people should have the choice to own, to own a gun or not own a gun, but we should all be safe no matter what, because these mass shootings shouldn't be happening at all. Mm -hmm. I know we should be doing that, but I agree you know, with keep, that. keep trying to get the education out there because that's what's going to fix all this. The more we know, right? It was the GI Joe that used to say that. The more you know, 
Yeah. Knowing is half the battle. Knowing is half the battle. There it is. <laughs> That's right. it. Well, I Great talking to you, BJ. So I appreciate yes, your time. And uh, thanks so much uh, for all you do. And God bless you. And uh, we'll do this again. Hopefully, next time you're on the Cape, you'll have to swing in and say hi. Absolutely, I will. And tell Steve right. and Cindy I said hello. God bless you. Yes, sir. All right. Well, okay. there's another show in the books, guys. I appreciate everybody listening. And uh, you know, remember to be an advocate and be a good, responsible gun owner in your community. Uh, put on the face of responsible gun ownership. And uh, we look forward to seeing you next week on Rapid Fire. Uh, we'll be on the Grace Curley Show Tuesday for 2A Tuesday, as always. So uh, God bless and have a wonderful weekend. I'm Toby Leary, and this is Rapid Fire. Take care. Got it.